Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and I've got one of our mentors, Susanna Serrano-Davy, back with me today. Susanna, how are you? I'm very well, Kevin. Lovely to be here with you today. And it's it's great to hear that you're, you're very well, because last week's episode, we started talking about well-being, and we got lots and lots and lots of guidance on how to improve how we handle ourselves during the day and how to start avoiding burnout. And we're going to continue exploring that theme this week. So we're going to talk about self-awareness, Susanna. We are. A topic that I'm very passionate about. Okay. So tell me some more about why you're so passionate about it. Because I think ultimately in life, there is no point in achieving our goals, becoming that CFO or or achieving whatever our, our objective might be, if in the process we cause a lot of damage to ourselves. And being, as the topic you mentioned from the previous episode, well-being, I think that is something that we start to consider, at least it was in my case, later on in our careers rather than earlier. And if only we paid attention earlier, not only would we be more successful in our development as professionals, but also we would do less damage to ourselves. And how does that link onto self-awareness? I will answer your question now, is that I think ultimately Well-being, you can define it in many ways, but to me, a simple way to define it is when we start to create coherence in our life. And by that, I mean when what we think, what we feel, and the actions that we take are aligned. And if you think about some of the situations we're in and some of the circumstances that present themselves in our lives, that doesn't always happen. Quite often, we're thinking something, but we're portraying a different scenario outwardly because that's, we think that's what's appropriate. And of course, we can't achieve that coherence if we're not self-aware in the first place. Because to me, and certainly in my, in my experience, the difficulty was realizing, understanding, seeing things for what they were within me. So I think self-awareness is that pillar that allows us to understand who we are, understand how other people see us, so we can work with, with that. And that will benefit our lives, I think. It will enrich who we are. And also it will make us more successful professionals because we're not just letting those natural things that we'll talk about in a minute um, take us hostage in that journey. Okay, yeah, got you. I can see how knowing more about yourself, being more aware about yourself is really going to help sort out the well-being side. And before you can do anything to address your well-being, you've got to recognize there's an issue. I'm looking at myself right now. Mm-hmm. As we record this, I've been back from holiday for about a week and suddenly flying into things, trying to get a whole long list of to-dos done. 
mainly because of things that were put to one side because I was on holiday. And then because of some deadlines that we've got for the end of the month, which is we record this, is only two days away. I'm kind of working full on. And I suppose I've got to take, uh, I've got to be aware of how that's affecting me because I'm mm-hmm. still back in the position I was before I had a nice break for a week. <laughs> I know. That is the sad thing, isn't it? That we don't always. I call it an expression that I use quite regularly is the hamster wheel. And I often would tell my team, we need to get out of the hamster wheel. Yes. For for many different reasons. And when, as you, in your example, you've just come back from your holiday, you get into that hamster wheel. And if you're not careful, you're just running, 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 getting nowhere in a way and not necessarily being aware of the impact that that has on, on your well-being, also on the quality of your work. So it's it's quite interesting, I think, to step back and get out of that wheel and and look at things and feel things for what they are rather than just get carried away. Now, something you mentioned just a few moments ago, Susanna, was something about how other people perceive us. And I just wonder if other people spot what's going on before we're aware of it ourselves. For sure. <laughs> Well, in many, in many occasions. So I think if we break this topic down into, into parts, you know, I, like, I have an orderly mind. First of all, um, I think that it's all very good for me to say, come on, guys, let's become self-aware because not only you will be a better professional, but you will also be happier or you will take care of yourself. That's quite a statement to make, don't you think? Yes. A second thing is how do you actually go about it? Because that's what I think, that's where I spent quite a lot of time thinking, but also look back at my own experience and think, right, how have I over over the years become more self-aware? And I think self-awareness is not something that you read in a book or even you listen to these podcasts today and suddenly you got it, you've learned it. It's not something you, you learn. I think it's something you experience through your journey, through your life. But I think there are different levels or layer, layers. I like to use for this, uh, thinking about these, the, the cliche or the metaphor of Russian dolls. You have these little dolls that you have one inside the other, inside the other, that they're only identical, but one is deeper than the other and it's just a matter of size. So if we think of self-awareness, as Russian dolls or, or an onion might be another another common metaphor that we can use. We to get to the inner one, we first need to get to the outer ones. Okay. I like this analogy. Okay, I'm glad. So the first, the easiest layer to access and the, the most obvious one, and the one we can actually work quite easily at is understanding how other people see us because we are able to communicate with others. That is something that is well embedded within our work cultures. So seeking feedback, you and I recorded a podcast sometime back about how to give feedback properly. And I'm sure there are other other discussions you've had around feedback. That is the first key to opening and getting into our self-awareness. If I remember back in my younger days, in getting feedback was painful and I quite often didn't agree with what I was told. And that meant I was not self-aware. 
So I think as a general rule, although it's not something we can generalize, the nearer our view of ourselves is to other people's view of ourselves, the more accurate actually and the writer we will be. So the first step to self-awareness, I think, is learning to utilize feedback, to integrate it, to, to get align those views. And as I, I'm getting older, it's very, I really honestly, hand on heart, when I get feedback, I tend to agree. I've just had the process of my zero readers on my book and people have given me a lot of feedback, valuable feedback. And at the beginning of the process, my zero readers were worried saying, oh, I'm not sure I can tell you this. And when they were saying, I I totally agree. What a good point. Yes, you're right. And so I think getting open to feedback and actually seeing what others mean, even if you don't like it, is the first step to unlocking your self-awareness. Yeah, I've got the the words of a a director that I used to work for way back in my career and in my early days in PwC consulting. And Alan's words were, perception is reality. Absolutely. That's a neurolinguistic programming right there. (laughs) (laughs) How other Uh, people perceive you, whether you think it is right or wrong, is reality. Uh, to them, it is absolutely. So I think it helps in life at work to align those realities, to get them nearer together, because that means you're going to have less conflict, you're going to be fewer barriers, you're going to find ways forward. So absolute. Yeah. Okay. So if we're talking about feedback in this particular context, when we're talking about you know, being self-aware, that you can have feedback that's associated with annual appraisals and so on. But this this feels as though it's something that should be more frequent than, than that. What sort of feedback are we talking about here, Susanna? I think we're talking about general feedback, both at work and at home. So clearly, if feedback is one, done well at work, that is, is a valuable source of information. Some companies will have these 360 feedbacks that you ask the same survey or the same questionnaire is responded by your line manager, by your peers. And in the end, you get this middle rating, shall we say, for different behaviors or capabilities. So that is a good source and something that many of us can try and achieve through work. But also, I think at home is listening to, you know, if people who love you are telling you you're a bit stubborn, you're probably a bit stubborn, (laughs) stubborn. even if you don't like to admit it. And I often, with my mentees, I have a simple exercise that I send them if, if we do talk about this topic, and that is like a long list of qualities, right? So good ones and bad ones. It's a page full of words, things like proactive, positive, negative, um, different, different attributes. Okay, I can't remember right now. But I send them that list and I say, why don't you send this list to people that you know, people who you trust in your, in your circle, friends or family? and ask them to pick the three that they think represent you the most. So because there are 20 words, people will have to pick three in a good way, but also pick the three that are not so positive that you could do with either toning down or thinking about. Or So when they get those six words, it's amazing how often they coincide. 
So somebody's colleague will be the same thing that somebody's mom or somebody's. And that is a good way to, with a bit of fun to get feedback uh, from your private environment that actually helps because it reminds you what you're brilliant at. And it also shows you perhaps what are the things that let you down when you're under pressure. Because that also I think that our strengths tend to be also our weaknesses. It's just a matter of how exaggerated that particular behavior is. And usually we're all great and we're in a middle way, but it's when we find situations that stress us or situations that are uncomfortable that we tend to sort of tilt towards the, the uglier side of our trait. Yes. I think it's fair to observe as well that people will pick up on the negatives much more easy than the positives. I remember one example of this at the start of a training session and before anybody came on the platform on the, at the front of the room there was something up on the whiteboard at the back and it simply started off one plus one equals two two plus two equals four three plus three equals six four plus four equals nine and everybody homed in on the four plus four equals nine and said that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong then when the, the presenter came on board and heard everybody talking about this it was quite clearly well you're all going on about the one that I got wrong none of you have mentioned the three that I got right yeah (laughs) absolutely absolutely and it's not about punishing ourselves I think it's about and also it's not about changing ourselves one of the the other areas the other layer of doll that you might want to use to strengthen your self-awareness I think is becoming aware of your personality type and we all have it there are many different ones there are different models out there that you can use to try and understand the categories many of us have done insights at work is super popular when they they put us into groups either the analytical ones or the proactive ones I found really interesting looking a little bit into the Enneagram of the personality, which is a model used in psychology. There are different models we can use. I don't think we should take any of them set in stone or as a Bible. It's not an ultimate truth. And I don't think it's about saying, right, I'm such a number or I'm such a style. I think it's about identifying with a particular style and understanding what are the tendencies that we have as a person. So, for instance, one of my, if I may give a personal example, I learned last year that according to the Enneagram, supposed to be or I find myself identified with the, the type three personality, which is the, the triumphant, the success, the, the person that has success. I thought, oh, wow, that's cool, right? But... The downside of that is that people like me tend to work so hard at presenting to the world what we think we have to, that we can kill ourselves in the process, right? So much so. That's where that really hammers well-being. Exactly. So much so that we're not even in touch with our own needs, our emotions. So to me, understanding that there are different personality types Knowing which which is the one that you're most similar to helps you say when you go into those behaviors of trying to 
succeed or trying to whatever your your own style is there's also a style very common which is the helper number two you know those people that go out just taking care of everything and everyone once you understand what's your personality type you can spot when you're going into automatic mode driven by that personality and it's not about changing it to yep. me it's about just stopping and thinking i'm making a conscious decision to do this i opt in or I opt out because you can't change we can't change that's not it's neither possible not necessary I think it's a matter of again awareness when you are aware of what you're doing and why you're doing you can take a more conscious decision if that's what you wish to do from an open eye perspective rather than from an automatic perspective yeah I think yeah, the more you can find out about personality, the better. I must admit, I do love that sort of thing. I've done several of, of those personality tests over time. The one that I still love most of all is Strength Finder. Yes. It tells you what you're good at mm-hmm. and the strengths that you should try and play to and how to make the most of them. Another one, a number of episodes ago on the podcast, we had Merrick Rosenberg as the guest. And Merrick talks about the four birds as personality type. Yes. It's all based yes. on, on the disc profile. Yes. So we talked for ages about uh, eagles and parrots and owls and doves and recognising which of those were, were probably the most dominant in your own style mm-hmm. and recognising the way those people in various styles communicate or like to be communicated to and the need to adapt your style to suit everybody. Um, totally agree. And I think what the key, the sort of icing on the cake of this particular exercise is not only by understanding your personality type, you can take care of yourself and deepen into your your own connection, but you're also, I think, you become more, more understanding of others and you're also able to influence them better. Not in a bad way. I don't mean influence as in manipulation. I mean, you adapt to... How is it that they need to be approached so that you get on better and you're so more tolerant? That has been at least my experience in my own self-awareness journey, that the more I understand myself, the more I I accept and take care of that, I do the same with others around me in my life. Yeah. When you're talking to people, when you're communicating, one size does not fit all. Absolutely. Strong message. Susanna, we've picked up on feedback, finding out how others perceive you. We've yeah. talked about finding out as much as possible about your own personality. Yes. What you take, what motivates you, what your strengths are, whichever of those things. And that, that sort of personality test, self-awareness can take you in lots of different directions. Mm-hmm. Isn't there something in here about your own feelings, gut feel? That's my number three area of self-awareness. So I think uh, connect, I summarise it as connect with your feelings, which I think is actually a lot harder than you think, because that is the thing that tends to, we are programmed to put our feelings aside and we are programmed to get on with life and just almost like throw sand anything that interferes with that and if we don't connect with our feelings 
that's when we end up burning out because by the time the feeling goes pop, <laughs> there's usually a crisis or is a, there's some big event that sort of makes everything come to light because we haven't identified that earlier on. And feelings are uncomfortable, but they're also very helpful. I think they have a job to do. And by feelings, you can say feelings, you can say emotions. First of all, how many of us, I certainly couldn't some time ago, are able to distinguish, they often talk about five core emotions, the five of them, and what, how do they manifest differently in our own experience, in our own bodies? Are we able to sometimes, when you're in a meeting, understand what emotion you're feeling? Sometimes it'll be euphoric or enthusiastic, and sometimes I'll be super angry. Or And if we don't make an effort, we don't often connect with that. And if we don't connect with that, it bottles up. And then I think it, it leads to health problems and also lots of issues in your relationships and et cetera. So connecting with your feelings is really important to me. To get there, a step beyond as well is, is your thoughts, because of course your feelings are born from your thoughts. And if we become self-aware of our thoughts, then we suddenly everything starts to become clear. Does that make sense to you? That makes sense. Now, what I'm wondering here, Susanna, is you know, feelings. You know, let's say you get negative feelings, you, you start getting angry. Is that leading us towards burnout or is it burnout that leads to the feeling? Which comes I, from? I think the feeling is a symptom. Right. So I have a, I have a theory, totally unproven by the way, uh, but I think that quite often when we have a, a crisis or some people get a little bit depressed or is because there's something that, is wrong, something that is not coherent. As I talked about earlier, between our needs, our actions, our thoughts, our, our feelings, when all of those things are somehow out of alignment, there is something going on within us that manifests itself as a crisis, a depression, a demotivation. I'm burnt out at work. I don't give a monkeys. I don't really see. I mean, we've all heard people around us. In, I have been in that position myself where you say, I just I can't see the point of what I'm doing. Yes, I go to work every day and I have a good boss. Uh, yesterday, actually, I have a similar conversation with someone. She said, well, I, yeah, it's okay, but I'm just, you know, that sense of mm, sort of apathy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I suppose that brings up the whole thing of purpose. Yes. That is a whole different podcast. I was going to say that's a podcast in itself. We it did about probably on purpose. I I think that to me, going back to the feeling or the bad feeling is a is a symptom that something is wrong. And I'm a great advocate for change. So to me, when that happens, is because something needs to change, either your environment or your attitude. Because the answer is not always to run away from things. Sometimes the the problem to, to a situation is not only in our situation and the environment, but how we react to that. And again, that's quite an interesting. Perhaps we could have another podcast on neurolinguistic programming or all the filters we apply to life. Because as you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, is perception. And our perception 
quite often is very cloudy. It's not yes. without its interferences. Yes, I think there could be a very interesting other podcast there. Yeah, and it's a, I, I'm quite happy to do it because it's one of the chapters in my book. Susanna, it's going to be pointless publishing this book soon. We're going to have covered every, every chapter on the podcast. <laughs> so to me, what it's important is getting these topics out there, actually, yes. and getting them onto the discussion point, whether somebody gets it through my book or whether they listen to this conversation. I'm quite cool with both. Yeah. So we've talked about feedback. We've talked about feelings. We've talked about personality. But what about action? What do we do with all of this? There is one piece missing, I think, before we are self-aware, in my experience. Um, so the, the one is, the thing that is missing, and that leads to the action, is identifying what are our needs. Right. Because quite often, we've just talked about perhaps being a little bit depressed or being a little bit unhappy with our situation. But certainly that was my experience in the past. Sometimes you know there's something wrong, but you haven't got the foggiest clue what is it that is wrong. You're just yeah. a bit oof. And to get to that answer, I think, is it's a matter of connecting with what do we really need in the vital moment that we are at. Because what we need when we're 20 is different to what we need when we're 30 or when we are a parent or when we are a team leader. Those needs do evolve over time. And to get to that need, I think what we need to do is try and question and remove some of our perceptions, some of our beliefs. Because as we evolve through life, as we grow up either as children or in the workplace, we sort of put in our bag, in our backpack, a lot of statements about ourselves. Well, I am Susanna, I am this way and I'm that way. And you will say, well, I'm Kevin and my strengths are these, and what I'm good at is that, and what I like to do is this, and what I want out of life is that. We all create this list of expectations, and sometimes there are elements within that list that become obsolete, and we just need to get rid of. And the biggest barrier, I think, is when we have also the shoots. I often, when I talk to my mentees, I pick up on the language as, as we're talking, and they say, well, I have to do this, I have to do that. And I say, do you really have to? Can you choose a different word? Do you, I want to do this. Or I, but when, if you think about all the things we tell ourselves in the morning, today, you said earlier, Kevin, that you just come from holiday, come back from holiday, and you have all these things to do. And, and sometimes all those have tos interfere with what we really need. Yes. So unless we question those have-tos, we don't give ourselves permission to identify or do what's necessary. That's interesting. That's interesting. Again, we're back to the NLP stuff because that's all about the language that we use to, to mm -hmm. describe these things. So that there's a really interesting future podcast. I think the next one we record, we really ought to unpack that one, Susan. Okay. I would love to. It's a topic I'm I'm very interested in. And I think is it can be very insightful. Hmm. But the have tos certainly come home into your your work when you're in finance. Because you no, know, you start off in the first day of the month. It's day one. Therefore we have to have the sales number. It's day three. Therefore, we have to have the profit number. It's quarter end. 
it's budget setting time. We have to do this. So there is that drumbeat of finance that that automatically puts that have to into the flavor of, of things. So we're, we're a little bit in finance programmed in, into the feelings of having to do things. I agree. And I think sometimes as well, they have to translate into, I'm the only person that can do this, or I do it best. And then it's where we're then linking back to our original, the beginning of our conversation on well-being. We may help ourselves by stopping and, and questioning that. One of my mentees recently, we were. He has the same problem that I'm. I'm yet to find the finest professional that goes home at five o'clock and is super relaxed. That doesn't happen in finance. And he said to me, "Well, my problem is that I only start doing my job at six thirty in the evening where everybody else is gone." And we started an exercise where he sort of looked again at all his halves do of things that he, in his mind, thought he had to do. And actually, by the end, by the following session, there were things on that list that now had been assigned to somebody else or changed. And, and so going back to the half just of course, in finance, we have to do a lot of things, but it doesn't always have to be us. It doesn't have to be the way we thought it has to be done. And we can take care of our well-being by questioning some of our have to even if it is deliver that revenue number on working day X. Yeah. Now something I talk about on the, the future CFO programs is that in module three, we start talking about fast tracking our development. And I make the point very clearly that look, if you're going to take on all of this new personal development, something has to give. You've got to get rid of something. Absolutely. One of the things around meeting your own needs here is you've got to give yourself time to do the things you want to do. So I suggest to people in there doing a time audit. And it comes down to having done the time audit, work out what you spent the last week doing, write Mm -hmm. it down as you go along, 15-minute chunks. It comes down to there's a load of stuff in there that you hate doing, you're not particularly good at doing, or you're doing it, but in the example that you've just given there, well, I only get to 6.30. When I get to 6.30 in the evening, I get around to doing my job. Well, what are all of those things that you're good at, but actually somebody else should be doing? The CFO mm. should not be doing this stuff. Or you like, because I've certainly been guilty of spending too much time on the things I like doing, but it's not what I was needed exactly. to Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm guilty of that as well. And um daughter has had her own business for the last seven or eight years, which is selling at the moment, but dad's done her accounts. No, I probably shouldn't have done that. I should have probably got her to employ a firm of accountants. <laughs> the word, you're using the dreaded word. <laughs> so, yep. if you're thinking about that time, order, actually, I, I talk in the course, and I've mentioned it already in, a, in more than one podcast. There's a book called 168 Hours by Laura van der Kam. Now, Laura talks all about doing the time audit, how to make space. One of her main tenets is that how do some people do all of these things that they love to do, manage to fit them into their day, no problem at all. And others of us are so jealous of those people because we'd love to be doing those things, but can never find the time to do them. 
I think the truth is that ultimately, however our level of ambition, our level of responsibility, unless we also take care of ourselves and our needs, somehow at some point things will break. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Somehow things will break. And when you get to the point that things break, putting them back together again, it's never easy. So we've got to avoid them breaking in the first place. It helps. It helps. It can be quite a roller coaster for everybody involved when you have a massive change. But also, I have experienced that myself, massive change. And I wouldn't change a thing. It's a wonderful part of being alive and experiencing your journey. So perhaps we should let things break. In the last episode, um, Leanne used to work in the city and she told us in in that episode about how she got to the stage that you know she was stressed things fell apart mm-hmm. really fell apart and she scrapped her city career and became as a result of observing what was going on she's ended up where she is now as a as a keynote speaker and an author of three books on well-being there you go Things sometimes do have to break to get us to where Absolutely. We've talked about a lot of great stuff today about feedback, feelings, personality, meeting your own needs. Now combine those with what we talked about last week. And I'm really minded of, of those little slithers of recovery that Leanne mentioned that we should be incorporating into the working day. And again, this, this is us as accountants. This is the going after task after task after task. And coming back to that analogy, that, or that example you gave, Susanna, of I only get around to my own job at 6.30 in the evening. Mm-hmm. But no, life's too short for that. I agree. And ultimately, we may be super accountants, super professionals, whatever, but we are what we really are, are people. Yes. And we can't forget that. Yeah. So, Susanna, that has been... Absolutely fascinating. It's a subject that I love talking about, as well as you being passionate about it. Now, the more and more we talk about this, these things, the more and more excited I am about this book of yours coming out, because I'm, I'm going to be I one of the first people on the reading. I have the, the final proof. I had my, the final from that my editor today, just for the final review of corrections on the Spanish version. So I can't wait to get started with the English version. Because <laughs> different language. So you just have to wait a little longer. Wait, I have to be patient. Yes. Yes, yes. Thank that, you for letting that, me share my, my ideas and opinions yeah. on these things that I think are really important for all of us. They are. They're extremely important. Susanna, thank you again for being this week's guest on the Growth CFO Show. Thank you for having me. 